Always build each other up. Be cheerful. Hold on to what is good. And thank God no matter what happens. God himself will put you together, spirit, soul, and body. If he said it, he'll do it. Looking so good this morning. It's an honor to um, be able to serve you this morning. Mind you, it's a terrifying honor, but an honor nonetheless. Um, if you're joining us, we are continuing, like Jaden said, in our Always series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And I don't know about you, church, but I have loved gleaning and digging into this book. It has been said that 1 Thessalonians is perhaps the best book of the Bible for someone new to faith to begin at. Um, it's like a crash course in the fundamentals of the Christian faith. I've always recommended the Gospel of John, but I think from now on I'm gonna say start with that, but then follow it up with 1 Thessalonians. Now in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul writes to a community of relatively new believers, um, people who are just, um, just sorting out, learning how to live the with God life. And he offers in some rather mind-blowing insight around what this life looks like. Now, these passages in the Always series in chapter five is called the emotional capstone of the whole epistle. Paul does what one commentary describes as assembling a fine jewelry necklace, a necklace full of pearls and precious stones. And he does this by giving us a series of short, powerful, and pregnant statements that are like pearls being slid, slid onto a string. So with that picture in mind, let's pray. Father, your presence is everything to us. And already, what a beautiful morning it has been. How wonderful to be able to celebrate with Peter and Heather in their baptisms today. How awesome is that? God, we pray um, for Peter and Heather that they would continue to pursue you and to grow in you. And God, I pray for Peter's continued healing. God, what a miracle. And God, I thank you for Heather's life and her joy and the way that she serves through the gift of dance. She serves the women of this community. And God, we thank you so much for her life. How awesome to be able to celebrate together with them. So God, this morning, I just pray that you would, um, Holy Spirit, light this word ablaze. Speak through me, and God, um, have your way in this place. Have your way, have your way, have your way. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So let me start off by asking you this question. Have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? When I think if you're a Christ follower here this morning that you've asked that question at one time or another or several times, multiple times. Now there are only two passages in the New Testament that state that directly. This is the will of God for you. And they're both found in 1 Thessalonians. Now to me, that's a pretty exciting thought <clears throat> that if you and I could understand and grasp this and incorporate this internally, and as a church community, then we are guaranteed to live a life that pleases the God of the universe. 
Now, in the verses that we're looking at this morning, Paul is going to give us three verbs of things that we are meant to do. But before we even look at what they are, check out the words that Paul uses to surround these verbs. These are the things I want you to do, he says, and I want you to do them always, continually, in all circumstances. In other words, do it all the time, never stop, in every situation. Is that all, Paul? <laughs> Sounds incredible. So whatever Paul is about to tell us, this isn't just something you add, this isn't just something we add to our life and then go along our merry way, no. He's advocating a disposition, a total mental framework, an attitude of how we move and navigate um, through life. That you can walk in the will of God, whether you are in Teranga or Timbuktu, Canterbury or China, doesn't matter. So what is Paul going to tell us to do? Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, he says this. He says, I want you to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying that I want you to be joyful, humble, and grateful people. That when people think of God's community, the people of God, which is us, I want them to think that those are very joyful, very humble, and very grateful people. That's his desire for us as the people of God. You know, church, I think we can hear a text like this about rejoicing always and being thankful and be like, oh great, another talk about, being, about gratitude. But stick with me here, because here's the issue. I think as a culture, we struggle to be like that. I mean, when we're trying to describe our culture today, do the words joyful, humble, and grateful come to mind? I mean, judging by what's on social media, the news, TV shows, the culture, especially in the US, sometimes the words that come to my mind are annoyed entitlement. I remember hearing a comedian in an interview describe today's modern culture. And he said, everything's amazing, but nobody's happy. <laughs> he said that not that long ago, we used rotary dial phones. You would flip this little dial around and it would create sparks and that's how you would call people. I mean, who here still has one of those dial phones you had to stand next to, you know, it's amazing. Nowadays, we have these incredible little mobile phones where we can FaceTime with anyone, anytime, globally. We have, these, um, we have this amazing technology, but we get so annoyed when it <laughs> doesn't go fast enough, or it's slow, or it doesn't download, you know, just really, really quick. And the comedian is like, hey man, give it a second. It's going to space. <laughs> give it a minute for the signal to come back from space. And then he started talking about flying on airplanes and how we complain if a flight is delayed or too long on the runway or if our chair doesn't recline far back enough. And he's like, yeah, but did you participate in the miracle of human flight? Like your chair was in the sitting in the sky. <laughs> you were in the sky, think about that. He said, we lose sight of the wonder around us and we settle instead for complaining. You know, I've been so convicted about this. I have noticed how much I have started to complain about traffic in Terong. 
Anybody with me? Do you feel me? I have found myself getting grumpier and grumpier that it no longer takes me three minutes to get to work. It's more like 10 or 15 and it is driving me crazy. Or I become unglued if I have to sit through two cycles of a traffic light and I'm like, what the heck, who are these people? It seems like Taronga is the best kept secret that everybody has found out about. You know, as a culture, we may not be good at this, but wow, we need this. I need this. You see, the only motivation Paul gives, and it's a totally sufficient motivation, is that this is the will of God. For us to be joyful, humble, and grateful community is what God wants. You know, the New York Times wrote an article a few years ago about how giving thanks is good for your health. A growing body of research suggests that maintaining an attitude of gratitude can improve psychological, emotional, and physical well-being. They began to study adults and said that those adults who were more grateful were less depressed, less greedy, less alcoholic. They made more money, got more sleep, had better jobs, had more friends, and were more resistant to viral infections. Yeah, I have a cough in the flu, so you can tell. You can tell that I've been complaining a lot. They studied children and said kids that were grateful made better grades, set higher goals, and had fewer headaches and made more friends. And then they studied college students at the University of Miami. They took 100 students and split them up into three groups. Each group had to write down things for 10 consecutive weeks. In group one, they were told that they had to write down five things every week that they were grateful for or blessed by. Group two had to write down five things that just annoyed them. And group three had to write down things that just happened. So they studied these three groups over two and a half month period and did an exit interview with each one of them. They found that the students who were forced to list blessings week after week of things they were grateful for had less health complaints, exercised regularly, and generally felt better about life, dramatically unlike the other two groups. <laughs> so medically, it is to our advantage to be joyful, grateful people. It won't just lower your blood pressure, it can save your life. Even in stories of survival, one of the key contributors to survival, whether you're lost in the jungle or lost at sea, is having a positive mental attitude. You see, the United States Air Force has one of the most, most famous survival schools in the world. They put you through 17 weeks of a really grueling process in the jungle. And at the end of the training, when you leave, they tell you that they just want you to remember two numbers. The first number they want you to remember is 98.6, because that is your core body temperature. And if your body temperature gets too low or too high, your body just starts to freak out and shut down. But the other number they want you to remember is the number three. And it's called the Air Force Rule of Three. They make them memorize this mantra. That if you're out, in the wild and extreme conditions, you cannot survive three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food, or three months without companionship or love. 
But here's what was so fascinating to me about that, was that there was one more on top, the one that started this whole list, and it's this. You cannot make it three seconds without hope or a positive attitude. Even in a war, one of the keys to winning war, according to Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was a general and a US president, is morale. Morale is more powerful than weapons or troop numbers, he said. All the secular stuff, from the medical profession to generals in the army, all are saying that if you want to survive, succeed, and thrive in this world, the key is to be a joyful, grateful person. It sounds to me, church, that God is onto something here. God knows what he is talking about when 2,000 years ago he said, do you know what my will is for your life? That you rejoice all the time, that you pray continually, that you give thanks in all circumstances. That is the call for all of us here this morning. Deep down, I think we all know that we need this, and deep down, I think we all want this because none of us want to be the E or in the group. And none of us want our only contribution to be taking people down a notch. And no one wants their ministry or callings to be mowing down the tall poppies. So the question is, how are we gonna do this? How are we going to pull this off? If this is God's will for us, and it is good for us, and it glorifies him, then how do we do it? Let's start by looking at the first directive in verse 18, I mean, verse 16, and it says this. Rejoice always. You know, in the Greek, that word always is the word all or every, and it's connected to the word when. In other words, rejoice when. Every time there is a when, rejoice. So when I'm tired, yes. When I'm awake, Yes. When I'm happy, yes. When I'm sad, yes. Every when, rejoice. You know, when I was a young Christian, I was taught that rejoicing wasn't about your emotions, but rather rejoicing is a verb and something that you do. Yes, that's true. But I don't think it means that we just rejoice on cue and be devoid of all feeling. I mean, even Jesus said when talking about his enemies, they honor me with their lips, but in their hearts, they're far from me. That was his way of critiquing his enemies. And I don't think God is looking for people who just say rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice on loop, but in their hearts, they don't feel anything. He's looking for us to really experience joy, for us to honestly, from the inside out, rejoice every when. But how do we do it? How do we re legitimately rejoice every win? How do we rejoice when life is falling apart? How do we rejoice when I'm in deep emotional pain? Or when I'm grieving? Or when I'm afraid? Or when I receive a diagnosis I was not expecting? First Thessalonians gives us our answer. You see, joy is a gift from the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 says, Paul told the Thessalonians that you receive the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That the joy you had 
You were in the middle of harsh circumstances. You were getting beaten up and in prison and yet you found joy in prison. How? How? By miracle. <laughs> the joy of the Holy Spirit was on you even in the midst of difficult circumstances and it's miraculous. And that is consistent with the rest of the New Testament. Galatians 5 says that the joy, that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 4, 17, Paul says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You want to know what the kingdom of God is all about? It is about the joy that comes from the very Spirit of God. And how do we get a joy that transcends all circumstances? Again, it's a miracle and a gift from God to have joy even when life is hard. So, these are the kind of questions that I ask myself. I was asking the text and preparing for this. So are you saying that I ask God for it? Yes, that's exactly what we do. But how will I know when I have it? What am I thinking of when it comes? Like, do I say, give me joy, and it suddenly comes? I was sad, and now I'm not? The reality is, is that joy is lit by the Holy Spirit. But there is fuel that it is burned on. And if we're called to rejoice always or rejoice every when, then it's got to be some hearty fuel. So it can't be something that is going to fade. When I was reading these survival stories, I came across a guy um, called Stockdale, the most senior man in Vietnam and who was a prisoner of war. Now, in an interview, they asked Stockdale when he was a prisoner of war with other men, with other prisoners, who are the people who died first in this extreme situation? And he said, oh, that's easy, the optimists. And they're like, what do you mean, the optimists? And he said it was the people who set their hopes on things that crumbled. Surely we'll be saved by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go and they would be crushed. When they set their hopes where there was no guarantee and when they set their hopes on things that faded, they crashed and gave up. And when you give up, you're done. There has to be something more substantial that joy can burn off of than just wishful thinking. 1 Thessalonians says, you receive the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The message they heard, the Holy Spirit lit it ablaze. And what was the message? <laughs> it's the story of the good news of the Son of God coming for us. That's what Romans says, that the kingdom of God is about joy in the Holy Spirit, that God is coming and that he is setting up a kingdom. Yes, this world is broken and yes, this world is in pain, but God is alive. He's moving. And that's what we need to remember. That's what I have to think about. Yes, the world is hurting, but God has not just left us all to go to hell. He sent a rescuer in the God-man Jesus Christ who is gentle with those that are humble, who forgives those who are sinful, who rescues us, redeems us, makes us clean, and he is coming back for us one day. And you see that all through the New Testament. That reality becomes the grounds for joy. Paul says to Philippians, I'm like a sacrifice right now. I feel like a guy who has been put on an altar and murdered. That is what I feel like in my present circumstances. And I love how honest Paul is being here about the difficulties he was experiencing. He wasn't masking it at all. 
But he says, even while that is happening, I rejoice. How? How can he rejoice while he is in prison and in pain? He says, I am preaching to you the good news of Jesus, and I've seen you become lights, and you are shining like stars in the universe. Look how he says it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, my beloved ones, just like you've always listened to everything I've taught you in the past, I'm asking you now to keep following my instructions as though I were right there with you. Now you must continue to make this new life fully manifested as you live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. God will continually revitalize you and planting within you the passion to do what pleases him. He says, so live a cheerful life without complaining or division among yourselves. For then you will be seen as innocent, faultless, and pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture. For you will appear among them as shining lights in the universe, offering them the words of eternal life. I love that. Paul, in essence, is saying, hold on to the word of life. Shine until the day that Christ approaches, that day when he comes to make all of this right. So when I see God is working in you, he says, and I see that it is headed towards that glorious sunrise, I'm channeling my life towards that. Even though I'm getting a beating for it, I rejoice. Paul goes on to say at the end of this book in Philippians, to rejoice because the Lord is near. We rejoice too, because God is moving amongst us. That is what we are meant to think about, church. It's not just about trying to find things around you that you enjoy, that's a good practice, but the truth is, you may look around and there is no joy, there's no friends and all looks like darkness to you. It is then, it is then that we look up and say, God is alive, God is moving, you see, joy is fueled by the gospel. And I want to encourage you to take the words of God and stack and load your mind with thoughts of Christ like logs on a fire. Load your minds with the images of what he's doing. Think deeply about what he's doing right now and what that means for a glorious future. And when you pray, Holy Spirit, in faith, I'm setting these logs in place. And check this out. And as I do, set these logs ablaze, Holy Spirit. Breathe on them. Bring them to life. Kindle and stir my affections towards you. And may it turn into a blaze of rejoicing. That's what we do. Use music. Use podcasts. Steal away by yourself and spend time with God. Reading and hearing his word. Abide, dwell in his presence, even in your brokenness even in your brokenness. And ask God to light your faith. Amen. The fuel, it is when you and I think about what God is doing right now in his people. This is the fuel your joy will burn on. And for me, I know I don't do this nearly enough. Which makes verse 17 make total sense to me. And he says this. Pray continually. You see, people who understand prayer understand two things. 
their dependence, their total dependence, and God's presence. And the two baptisms we saw this morning were a perfect example of that. Peter, in his absolute brokenness, in his desperation, cried out to God and believed that he was present and he was healed the very next day. And Heather, who believes, in, who believes and relies on God and his presence to wake her up in the morning <laughs> and to get her through her day. Because what does that mean to pray continually? Or some of your translations say, pray without ceasing. I think Paul is grabbing this straight from Jesus. You see, in Luke 18, Jesus tells a story. He told it so that his disciples would pray and so they wouldn't lose heart and give up. And he tells a story, and as he tell it, tells it, he picks a widow. Now, in those days, a widow was one of the most disenfranchised, under-resourced person in that culture, the weakest and the smallest you could be. With no man to care for her and no financial situation to speak of, she was utterly powerless. And so Luke 18 says this. There was a judge in a certain city, Jesus said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. <laughs> and then Jesus said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. And here's the kicker. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? In that last verse, he diagnoses our problem, that the reason we don't pray that much is perhaps because we don't really think or believe God is working in our midst. So we pray vague prayers that really don't require an answer. But God wants us to be people who pray, not just frequently, but continuously. He wants us to live with the real sense of our weakness. We can't even conjure up joy on our own, much less control the external world. So we come to our Father in heaven totally dependent because he's present, alive, and working. And I love how one of the translations of that verse says, make my life a prayer. Which means that as I go about my day, I can talk and pray to you, Lord, anytime. And as I pray about what is going on with me, even though you know anyway, I believe in faith that you actually want to do something about my situation. He says, that's the kind of people I want you to be, that you rejoice because I'm working, that you pray because you believe I am working, <laughs> and that you believe that I am present and that I care deeply about you. And as Hebrew eleven six 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. I mean, do we believe that this morning, church? That as you seek him, that excites him to move on your behalf? That if we truly believe that, church, we would pray more, I'd pray more, we would ask for big things and we would ask for every little thing, like give me joy. 
as I go about my day. For me, personally, the best example of praying continually that I know personally, it's gonna make me emotional, are my grandparents. My grandparents were married for over 75 years. Now here's a picture of them when they renewed their wedding vows on their 50th anniversary, and they are surrounded by all their children. Yes, all 15 of them. Mind you, there's 14 there, but one was in Vietnam at the time, the youngest. There they are there. My most enduring memory that I have of them when I was a little girl was walking down the hallway to their lounge, seeing them, and this was an often, this is a picture we saw often, praying on their knees, holding hands with one hand and holding rosary beads in the other, because that is just some good Catholic thing that you do there. They prayed continually. That's my enduring memory, they prayed continually because look, they had a ton of kids <laughs> and too many grandchildren to count, so they had to. We kept them busy, very, very busy. And for me growing up, whenever you went to visit my grandparents and were about to leave, my grandparents would always say, and whether it's a Latin thing, I don't know, but this is just what I grew up, we did this. They would say, come here so I can bless you. And they would pray over us. They would pray over blessing every time. And I will for never forget the time my grandmother was praying over me and she said, Monica, I see you standing on a world map. I don't know where you are, but you're surrounded by lots of people and you're telling them about Jesus. Church, grandparents, parents, family, and friends, your prayers matter. They matter. Your blessing on your children matter. Because I'm standing here because God heard their prayers. Amen. Our last directive, verse 18 says this, to give thanks in all circumstances. You know, if you survey scripture, you'll find thanks is an expression Jesus himself uses quite often. What's interesting that in our day, in our time, gratitude is an expression exclusively used when a person experiences something really exceedingly good fortune. But it's interesting that if you look at the life of Jesus, you'll notice that he says thanks in some of the most unlikely moments. For instance, the night before his crucifixion, knowing he would have to endure unimaginable pain and a brutal death within hours, we read that Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. The night before his death, thanks. Another time, Jesus' friend Lazarus had just died, and we're told that he had been dead for four days, and Jesus is so upset by this news that he weeps. And then he does something you wouldn't expect. He prays, and the first words out of his mouth are, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've heard me. Amazing, that in the wake of painful loss, thanks. You see, for Jesus, thanks wasn't just an obligatory word. It was a reality-shaping, life-enriching, daily spoken word that bound him to God the Father in such a way that regardless of the circumstances, he could say, this is the good life. This is the rich life. This is God's best right here, right now. Thanks. 
Notice that Paul says to give thanks in all circumstances and not for all circumstances. We're to be thankful within the circumstance. And what kind of person is thankful within a circumstance? The person who believes in faith that God rules. That he is sovereign over this world and he is guiding it to a final conclusion. That there is nothing that competes with him, nothing is bigger than him, nothing is outside of his reach. He has this great vision and purpose of what he's doing and going to do in the world. And he loves and pursues us. And even when life is hard, I can rejoice because I know, I know, I know that he's using it to shape me into the image of his son. And when I start to load my mind with the logs of these truth, church, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? I know what we can say. How about thanks? <laughs> How about thanks? If I could have the music team come out now, thanks. It'd be great. <sighs> so we rejoice always. We pray without ceasing and we give thanks in all circumstances. And that sounds great, but it sounds really, really hard. And the truth is, it is hard. It is hard. But here's the motivation, and Paul ends the verse by saying this. For this, do this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know that in Christ Jesus isn't talking about God's will as it fits into Christ Jesus, no. That in Christ Jesus is talking about you. It's talking about me. This is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus. If you remember back when we started the It's Hope series, this is where we started. The glory for the Christian is not that we are working and having to do all this stuff to please God, no. The Christian is someone who lives in God that he draws me in, surrounds me, and encompasses me, and I am in him. And the beauty for the Christian is that we get to think about that, that wondrous reality. We are broken, we are frail, we are weak, and yet God and his mercy sent Jesus to be tender, to be kind, to hate sin, but to rescue the sinner, that he lived the perfect life we could not, that he died the death that we deserved, that he beat death and he rose from the dead and he calls us and he made us right before God. He named us his children and even now he's working on us till the glorious day that he comes to take us home. Thanks. <laughs> May we think about the beauties and the wonder of being in him. May we pray, Holy Spirit, would you kindle and stir my affections towards you, light it ablaze. Light it ablaze. Make into a, a blaze of rejoicing. Help me, God, to appreciate and celebrate this glorious reality that I am in Christ Jesus. Because, church, that changes everything. That changes things now because he's moving and working things out for my good, and that changes things forever. I get to be a light shining in the universe. God brings that, God bring that to mind. So as I step out of these doors and go about my day, the honest cry of my heart is that I would rejoice. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that despite our circumstances, your gospel story is working itself out into our lives. 
that your good news is something that we can hold on to, that your death and resurrection on the cross at the end of the day is where each of our stories is headed to know life with you and to experience life with you. So help us, God. As a church family, as a BBC community, to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you just breathe on that, on every single person here, God? Breathe on it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Please stand to your feet and as we raise a hallelujah to our mighty Father in heaven who loves you so.